Welcome to 13 Days of Hallowtober. <laughs> Welcome to the 13th and final episode of our annual series on Then Is Now podcast called 13 Days of Hellotober. I am your host, Rigor. Now, this is being recorded as a video, so if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, you may want to visit our YouTube page at youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to check out the video version. Okay, our topic this year has been vampires, and we've been discussing various vampire films for the t- past 12 episodes episodes and now our final episode will wrap things up by discussing the king of all vampires dracula so joining us are some great guests uh including frequent guest co-hosts spenty and michael spenty's going to be late but michael what's happening hey 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 uh not much i tried to choose a, a a nice background for the lounge but uh it's being fluttered by the wind a little so oh jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah because you're in hawaii so you must have all the windows open yeah i always have the windows open and yeah, there you go. It's kind of if I shut them, I'll suffocate. So <laughs> or I'll boil. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, we don't want that on on camera. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> so also on the panel is John Grace from the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast. John, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Excellent, excellent. Glad to have you here. And also we've got uh, Scott Bradley or S. A. Bradley from the Hellbent for Horror podcast. What's new, Scott? Hi, everybody. Great to uh, be here. And thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to start talking about this. We're in the middle of our first and only storm for about six months here in California. So it's a dark and stormy night to talk about Dracula. Oh, there you go. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy you guys could join me on this last episode of the 13 Days of Hallotober 2022. So um, I just want to say, folks, unless you've been living four feet under a rock for your entire life, you've heard of Dracula. Uh, Dracula is a character from Bram Stoker's book of the same name, written in 1897. The character spawned hundreds of films, TV shows, toys, books, games, and more. He's basically influenced the telling of vampire tales in the 20th and 21st century. Um, You know, even though vampires have been around for countless generations, Dracula has been influencing us since 1897, basically. And, you know, a lot of things come out of that. You know, you've got the Count on Sesame Street. You've got Count Chocula. Uh, the groovy ghoulies, you know, there's parodies about Dracula, songs about him, toys, just so many things. He's re- been a real rich part of our pop culture. Um, and, and I just want to point out, too, that many actors have played him over the years. Um, in particular, the most famous would be Bela Lugosi, who played mm-hmm. him in the Universal film in 1931, also titled Dracula. And Christopher Lee, who started with the British Hammer horror film, horror films, playing um, Dracula in um, Horror of Dracula was the first one. And mm-hmm. there was a whole series of Hammer films that came out and, and just so many more that, you know, it would take it would take an entire podcast just to cover all the Dracula stuff. But what I've done is I've asked everyone to sort of bring to the table whatever Dracula aspect they want to talk about. It can be media. It can be, you know, toys, books, games, whatever. And we'll just discuss and go with it. So um, let's start off with John, since we have a hard uh, leaving. Uh, why don't you go first? And basically what I wanted to ask you is when did you first like sort of realize or recognize Dracula? If you can remember that. And um, do you have a favorite film? Do you have a favorite actor or TV show or anything like that? 
Uh, I think it was in the 70s when uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave used to play on a local New Orleans station pretty frequently. And I saw bits and pieces of that when I was a kid. Being like four or five years old, I wasn't going to understand the story too well. But um, that was probably my first impression of Dracula. And then I would I would buy like books with monster pictures and famous monsters magazine. And so I probably saw photos of Bela Lugosi and Dracula years before I actually saw the film. Um, I think the first Dracula movie I saw in a theater was Love at First Bite, which <laughs> was a gigantic hit mm-hmm. in uh, 1979. And uh, it's kind of forgotten what a huge hit that movie was. Like it was a massive, like it was 43 million in those days, which is like a, that's like 90 million today. That's like, that was a, that was an unbelievably big hit. So that was the first Dracula movie I saw. And um, I later saw all the Christopher Lee Dracula films. So I was a big Hammer Horror fan in the early eighties. Cause you'd get them on uh, WTBS. The Superstation would run those quite a bit. And uh, we had cable like in 80, 81, pretty early on. And um, I don't think I saw the Lugosi Dracula until maybe 88 or 89, because we just didn't get the shock theater universal packages where I lived. And um, I read the Bram Stoker Dracula novel, I think in 1982, when I was a little kid, I didn't Mm. understand it too deeply, but (laughs) I was kind of into that idea. And it was interesting to me that his description was nothing like what I saw in the Christopher Lee movie or um, certainly not the George Hamilton movie. And uh didn't look like the photos of Bela Lugosi is like, they described this kind of guy with long hair and a beard. And, you know, I guess the Gary Oldman image is a lot closer to what's in the book, but, uh, and people always tell me about the Louis Jordan Dracula. Cause I guess it aired on PBS in the seventies and I never caught it. And I uh, wasn't able to see that until about 15, 16 years ago. And, wow. um, I would say probably my favorite it's Christopher Lee. Cause he's the first and he kind of played Dracula as an alpha male, like a monster. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I, um, you know, like that's my impression of Dracula and it's pretty much probably Christopher Lee's best work. And it made him the, according to director Gary Sherman, he said Christopher Lee was the highest paid actor in the world in like the early seventies because of those Dracula films wow. like hammer hammer would have to slash budgets to get him back into the Dracula game you know, just to pay him because he just didn't want to do it. They, they kept yeah. wanting to give it, they wanted to give the role to Ralph Bates or somebody like that. And, but uh, theater owners around the world, distributors were like, no, we want Christopher Lee because huh. he brings the crowds in. Um, otherwise I would say like, I think my biggest stick in the mud about Dracula, and we can get into this later is uh, nowadays people think he's Vlad Tepe's, which he's not like, there's nothing people get that from the Dan Curtis uh, Dracula TV movie with Jack Palance and think that, oh, he's he's uh, Vlad Tepe's that he's after the reincarnated lover because of that Coppola movie, which kind of pushed that to the mainstream. And I actually got into an argument with a writer producer of that recent NBC Dracula series saying, no, Bram Stoker did not base Dracula on Vlad Tepe's and it's not even it, he's not even mentioned in the novel. And this guy was swearing up and down. He was, was like, no, read the novel. There's no reference to Vlad dracula or whatever in in the book he's an original monster creation or whatever you know he's the evil foreigner the evil gypsy it's like but people have completely warped perceptions of all that stuff all thanks to dan curtis and um also i guess dark shadows really started that because dark shadows was basically doing dracula as a soap opera in new england and you know as a modern story and okay he's he's in after his reincarnated lover 
So then Dan Curtis recycles that story into his Dracula, the Polance TV movie, which is really good. But, um, you know, it's just it, it's not Bram Stoker's novel at all. It's like, hey, come on, I've read that novel at least twice. It's there's no mention of Vlad in that book. That's an interesting point, because um, when I looked it up in my research for this, uh, Dracula or Dracul means either dragon or devil. And when you add the A, it, it makes it to mean son of. So yeah. they said that the real Vlad Tepish was was his nickname was Dracula because he was the son of the dragon or son of the devil. Right. So uh, Stoker must have lifted that name from there. But obviously in the book, he made no reference to the original Vlad Tepish. Yeah. And he could have just been using the Romanian term. He may have learned it or something and said, oh, what a cool name for, for a for a villain, for the villain I'm creating here. Right. Right. So, Scott, what about you? Oh. Sorry about that. I I, uh, I had a barking dog, so I put the uh, mute on there for a second. <laughs> so I, it's interesting uh, that we talk about uh, Dracula. I, I always kind of uh, smile a little bit whenever I hear people talking about, well, that's not what he was supposed to be like, and these people changed it. And so it's been changing since the very beginning. I mean, if yeah, you really want to get mad at anybody, 1922, you can get mad at uh, Nosferatu, which is basically made because they can't use the Dracula name. And they go, well, fuck it. We're going to do Orlock then. Oh, uh, are we it's allowed fine. to swear? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Happen happens occasionally. We so have the a thing quota anyway, so. Okay, fair enough. Well, and it's not to be mean about this. It's the idea that Dracula is far bigger than that book. Dracula is far bigger than just a good story. Dracula is part of a worldwide cultural uh, embracing. Uh, so it means so many different things for so many different people. And one of the reasons the vampire stayed so long and why Dracula is so interesting is that he is the, up until the vampire. This is the do all purpose metaphor. It could be drug addiction. It could be sexual uh, attraction. It could be foreigners. It could be uh, aristocrats. It could be uh, pandemics. All of these things can be part of what uh, a vampire is all about. And Dracula being uh, the, the top of that. That heap. Uh, I think once we go to even the universals, the way that most of us know it, I have the universal monsters behind me. They're bastardizations of those things. They're not even based on the book. You know, Dracula is not based on the book. It's based on a stage play that was done in London before that. You know, that's where they got Lugosi. In, in fact, Frankenstein was also done that way. And I'm not saying that to be ridiculing. I'm saying that to say it's universal. It's almost like saying what is horror. Right. It is far too uh, it, it's it's far too broad of a term. It means so much. It's subjective to everybody. What horror means to me may not be the same to anybody else that's in this show uh, or listening. Uh, my, what scares me might put you in a coma. What scares you, I might not even consider a horror movie. That's all immaterial. It still means something very much to you. And I think that when we get to something that's as big. That's why I, I love that Dokra is going around now, the great, great grandson. And I saw him, I guess, a year ago at a convention. And he, he was going, I love when people do what the story is. He goes, but what I really love is that Dracula is just this thing for anybody. You say the name Dracula, it means something different for everyone. It's like, what does God look like, right? We all might think of a guy with a beard and a cloud. We might not. Might look like your grandpa. Might look like my grandpa. And that's what Dracula is like. Dracula is, uh, is uh, Christopher Lee. It's Bella Lugosi. It's Jack Palance to me. Jack Palance scared the shit out of me. And Jack Palance 
turned into a Marvel comic is the one that gets to me as well. Tomb of Dracula. You look at that, you go, that's somewhere between uh, Jack Palance in certain times. And at other times, he almost looks African-American, depending upon who's drawing him. It's really interesting. But those are the looks that when I hear Dracula, that's what I think of. Um, I would say that uh, what I love about it is that it is so malleable. Uh, that we can call it Dracula. It's even funny looking at the list that we were given of movies that have been known with Dracula. They all have Dracula in the name somewhere, but you know, Nosferatu is not really Dracula. There are several movies that are on there that are allusions to Dracula. They don't even have Dracula in them. You know, <laughs> it's like Dracula just used to sell that story, right? So to me, uh, vampire is the thing that's that's the most important. Dracula is the catch-all. And I love, to me, the Draculas that matter the most are the dangerous ones. Because I think that's what's interesting to me is that you look at these beasts. They look like you. They act like you. But they're better than you. They're charismatic. They have this way of luring you in. But inside, they're a fucking spider. They don't look. They're not human. They're these horrifying things that want to feed on you. And they uh, live in the world of evil. And I think that that is what's amazing about them and why I think that Dracula's lasted so long. Uh, and the idea of vampires just being this, that's the blood, right? The, the actual sangre that comes off of Dracula is all the ways that the vampire is used, you know? Uh, and I mean, I, 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 later I'll talk about where that starts to get a little bit, uh, why we need to get away from Dracula for quite a while. And that for it to be stronger in, say, the 2000s uh, is because you have things like Vincent Price being on TV, being, you know, accosted in the 60s, you know, the mid 60s uh, saying, you don't really believe that stuff. And he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed to say that he wore the cape and everything. And he's trying, uh, they're basically trying to say, don't you think the violence that's in the world, don't look at Vietnam or anything, but the violence in the world had to do with you running around in a cape. And he basically throws Dracula under the bus, right? He says, it's all just for kids. And so he takes the fangs right out of it. There's no more fear, right? Until we get to the modern horror, which really starts in 68 with Night of the Living Dead and Targets and uh, Rosemary's Baby. That's where we start going, oh, horror could be serious shit again. But, you know, uh, Dracula, uh, our love of it made it anemic. Uh, here we go with more metaphors. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it made it, you know, these things in the background that I have here, they're from the Kenner uh, models. They're the model kits that I needed to get when I was a kid at the five and dime. I was like, they're scared of each and every one of them. But the monster kids loved it so much. We loved them to death. They became, ended up with Abbott and Costello. They ended up on TV with Vincent Price. They ended up on game shows. They ended up as Count Chocula and things like that. The thing that I love is when it gets back to that horror. And yet at the same point, I'm one of the reasons that uh, Dracula lost a little bit of that punch in that time period because I fell in love with the monster. You know, I, I saw something of me in that monster. So as you can tell, there's a bit to talk about. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, hold on. I'm just admitting Spencey here. He's coming in. I think some of what you just said, uh, Scott, about the, the fact that uh, sometimes an intellectual property is malleable. People do their own versions of it over time. And it sometimes gets overdone to the point where it gets watered down. It doesn't have the same, you know, impact or presence or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I I was starting to feel that way about Batman before the most recent one came out. And I 
I was like, Jesus, do we need another one? You know, like, can we just take a break from this character? Um, but the, the, you know, the one that the recent one was, I liked it a lot. So, but yeah, I, I, I totally see what you mean about that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I just want to tell everyone, uh, frequent guest co-host Spency has joined us. Welcome Spency. Hello. Hey, Spencer. You're on with Michael, John Grace, and uh, Scott Bradley. And uh, we've just put, kind of been going around the table. So what I did is um, <clears throat> I've been asking people, you know, uh, when did you kind of first realize that Dracula was sort of a thing, uh, if you can remember that? And uh, do you have a favorite film, a favorite actor, uh, anything in Dracula media? I know you're big into video games. Are there any Dracula video games? You know, so why don't you go ahead? Um, hmm. not too many Dracula specific video games that I could think of. I mean, he, um, a big thing in uh, Wolfenstein is a pretty famous IP and part of the plot is hunting down Dracula. They actually released a show, uh, quite a while ago. It was very good. Um, Dracula for me, I mean, Dracula to me is one of the classic universal monsters more than anything else. Um, like obviously it you know came from a book and all that stuff so he's you know a uh, public domain but uh, to me it will always be Bela Lugosi uh, that is like the quintessential Dracula even though it's actually not all that accurate to the book uh, there's a level of accuracy but uh um yeah Bela Lugosi is probably probably my favorite uh, and my favorite film to watch him in Oh, it's probably he has he was only in a couple of films so uh probably uh Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein is like the best because he takes it so seriously too it's he's so much fun to watch because he's very very much Dracula and he defined who Dracula was and what he looked like for generations right right Michael you're up next I don't have any recollection of when I first became aware of Dracula um <laughs> I, my dad was a total, is a total goofball. And every once in a while, when we were fooling around and playing, he would say, I bought Dubai, John Matt. And I was always like, dad, what, what, what are you doing? Like, what is that? You know? Um, and he was like, oh, it's Dracula, Dracula. I'm like, what the hell is Dracula? So I don't remember the first time I watched it or anything. I did read the book when I was in my twenties, which I liked. <laughs> I was 50 50 on it, but I felt like I, I, I had to read it, you know, <laughs> like I got to read this. Um, when I was in college, I was in a play version of Dracula where I was Jonathan Harker. And uh, recently for, because I knew we were going to be talking about this, I watched what five or six Dracula movies in the last couple of weeks. And um, I got to say, Frank Langella for me is uh, mm -hmm. he just has this presence and this power to him and I really thought the way that movie was shot and they didn't really hold back. You know, there was a lot of nasty, they just went for it in that movie. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the Frank Langella version myself. Nice. Well, can you read us the list of what movies you watch? Oh, sorry. Um, I watched uh, Bela Lugosi, Dracula from 1931, Horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee from 1958, 1979 Dracula with Frank Langella, 1992 Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman and 2014 Dracula Untold with Luke Evans. Awesome. Trying to trying to get like a spread. <laughs> so for me, I, I can't recall the first time I knew who Dracula was, but he was just always there. It was always in the pop culture. The old Universal films were always on TV. 
even some of the hammer ones. And I think as much as I love Lugosi uh, as a kid, I would always look forward to the next Christopher Lee hammer film when it was going to come on the tube. So I'd have to say he was probably my favorite. Um, but I had a couple of things I wanted to show you guys. I have this book that I pulled. Ah, where did I go? Of course, my mic went off. Uh, I don't know. If, oh, there we go. So this is a, a hardcover. It's real thick. It's obviously titled Dracula. It's the novel, and it's just full of awesome paintings in it um, with the text. And I, I was trying to practice this earlier so I wouldn't screw it up. Oh, cool. So there's a picture of... Uh, oops, there we go. I think it's... Oh, my finger's in the way. Jonathan Harker, you know, going across a Dracula. But they portray him with the mustache, which I thought was really cool. And... Um, then the other thing I wanted to show you guys, and then I have a movie I want to talk about. Um, pulled this from my childhood. It is the Dracula Marvel book and record. <laughs> and <clears throat> for those at home who don't know what a book and record is, they basically take an issue of the comic book and they put it together in this sort of cardboard, you know, harder bound book. And it comes with ah, a record. If you don't know what a record is, kids, go ask your parents. It's this thing you play music on. <laughs> um, but it's this is cool because it's like it's like reading the comic in convenient audio form. And this particular one was Terror in the Snow. And this thing scared the shit out of me for years. <laughs> I, I had a hard time with that one. <laughs> but I wanted to say in preparation for this show, I watched um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I guess is just now called Dracula. The one uh, Michael mentioned from 92, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Michael, did we see that in the movies together? I know I saw it in the theater, but yeah, okay. Because yeah. I, I fucking hated that movie when I first. I fucking it. hate that version. Yeah, I didn't. I, ha it I hated it then, and I hate it now. Really? See, now I yes. had a change of opinion because, um, well, there were two things going against it for me personally. One was Keanu Reeves was in it, and he was just coming off of both Bill and Ted films. So to see him in a role like that, I couldn't take him seriously at all, especially when he's going. When I went to Budapest and it was like, what? No, stop, <laughs> you know, but after, you know, a couple of decades of him doing awesome roles, yeah. I kind of this time around, I kind of bought him in the role as Jonathan Harker. And then the other thing I realized watching it this time, I didn't get it. I didn't like that Dracula was doing this weird floating. The shadows were animated on their own and all this other crazy stuff that was going on. I just didn't get it. And when I watch it this time, I realized it, it's told as if it were a dream. And when you take it like that, I actually liked it a lot better. I could appreciate it for its art, for the cinematography. I mean, even Gary Oldman's awesome, no matter what he does. I mean, he could read the phone book and it'd be compelling. So I, I have to say, I liked that one, that one better this time around. I don't love it, but I definitely um, I don't hate it like I used to. <laughs> So I want to throw that on the floor. What are you guys' uh, uh, opinions on the Bram Stoker's Dracula? Uh, I thought visually it was kind of cool. I kind of felt that the the love story was overblown. That's when the movie kind of goes into like a neutral. And so uh, I thought that the beginning of it though was triumphant in a way that I didn't expect. You know, I didn't expect to like it at all. Uh, but I loved, even though it was different. Than the, the film, I thought it was really at the at one point doing a little bit of Todd Browning, at another point doing uh, a little bit of uh, oh my goodness uh, Nosferatu. I how can I forget the name of the the director? Uh, anyway, Murnau. Thank you, F. W. Yeah. Murnau. And uh, so Murnau, 
we have the shadows on the walls. We have this very expressionistic thing that I thought was a, a wonderful artful flourish when there really wasn't that much going on like that in films at that point. Um, I thought that opening 15 minutes was really, really fun. I thought it was art directed almost to death. Uh, and I uh, feel that some of the battle scenes were kind of interesting when they're bringing his, his character to life. Uh, Gary Oldman was fine. I don't know what happened. Uh, somewhere along the line, it's, it's just so funny to me that Gary Oldman is absolutely beloved now. It's like a great thespian. When he first came out, he, uh, he was hated as an overacting histrionic ham that everything that he did was ticks and snivels. And, you know, he did that uh, when he did Sid and Nancy, they were like, thank God for Chloe Webb. She saves this movie from this guy who's in the corner going, hey, hey, hey trying to be Sid Vicious. And I, I used to watch him and laugh, you know, and, and now it's like, man, he's just incredible. It's uh, the depth that he goes to. It's just how acting changes, right? And uh, if you survive long enough uh, and you get enough chops, all of a sudden uh, that stuff that maybe was a little bit uh, intense was a little bit much. And I thought he was a little bit too intense in uh, in Coppola. You know, his, uh, you know, he's in this little, little way he licked things. And I'm like, oh, dear. Yeah, me. yeah. Yeah. The, the... Yeah, the whole thing was just so big. It's like like it's not theater, dude. It's not theater. It's cinema. The camera's right here. Yeah, Yeah, you're not projecting to the back row. The Oscar-winning director's sitting right next to you. You know, he's not in the in the back row. So yeah, it was. uh, It it kind of cracked me up when uh, when I watched it. But I respect some of the visual imagery that's in there. I think that it opens stuff up. I think that's one of the reasons that they decided to go with like interview with a vampire and go a little bit more Gothic. That kind of re uh, brought goth back, you know, that uh, helps with, you know, blade. I think blade gets help being made because of that movie. Cause there's just this whole idea of where can we go aesthetically that is not this just creaky old thing, you know, and yet not, you know, make it too, too outrageous so there's almost like shadow of that light box kind of uh directing that Murnau was doing with shadows and things like that where it's very obvious what's happening but it's all expressionism which I love and then there's the other side which is like let's let's still have it in the castle of Browning and things like that and I, I can't help but think that Keanu Reeves is almost too intentional <laughs> a response to some of that really dry acting that there was in the Browning piece oh yeah he's so bland and yeah. <laughs> he's so like lifeless and bland. It's ridiculous. Like, dude. Spencer, did you get a chance to watch that movie? I did not, but when I uh first of all, Scott, I see in the background uh there one of my icons uh right behind your shoulder, um, which I love very much. Uh I have a very different perspective on Dracula movies. You guys had like multiple movies come out in your lifetimes that were just Dracula, that were telling the story retelling the book in different ways to me i have only seen the greats because of my father here so um i personally just know him as the universal monster with frankenstein uh with the mummy with all the with all the other greats up there so to me an honorable mention for dracula will always be richard roxburgh who pl- uh, played him in van helsing from 2004 ah. and i get it it's an it's an action movie i understand that it's you know one of those films but for me <laughs> Personally, it fueled my imagination as a kid because I came out in 04. So I just grew up watching that. And I loved how they connected all of the details. And I like that it's called Van Helsing because he's from the Dracula book. So it is this this cool little uh, dichotomy here. I actually uh, 
want to show you guys some. I have a Magic the Gathering card that is, uh, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, it's Abraham Van Helsing. <laughs> like wow. a picture of him and stuff like that. I have a couple others like that. Um, they released a set recently of that. So Dracula is big for me when it comes to just iconic vampires. Um, so I really haven't seen too much Christopher Lee, surprisingly. Um, I haven't seen too much of the the Hammer films actually at all. Um, I but I have tried a, and you didn't like them or something. And I yeah, for whatever reason, they never caught on for me. Whereas I much prefer the gothic horror that is uh, the Universal Monster films, especially Dracula in black and white. There's just something special about it to me. So I really love that. I didn't really, I don't really have the view of uh, all these other actors you guys mentioned. Right. Well, I'm actually kind of on uh, on your wavelength in a way, uh, because Spencer, because the things that I want to talk about are movies that have the spirit of Dracula more than the Dracula movies that uh, came out in certain time periods, because those movies that talk about the metaphor of the vampire with more respect to it without actually having it like George Romero's Martin is uh, this wonderful meditation on on vampirism and dracula without ever being dracula you know nosferatu is a ripoff of dracula because they couldn't use the name but it's really really wise and clever in the way that it does that uh there's a movie called habit with uh deals with alcoholism that is really really strong all these things do allusions to the book and allusions to the story and update them in a way that unless you've read the book or you know the movies by heart, you wouldn't even know. But what's great is that they take what's important about the vampire, this idea of this supernatural force that feeds on us, whether it be addictions or whether it be a sickness, whatever it is. Uh, I think that's far more interesting to me. Uh, but I love when there's a good Dracula. And I have to say, uh, Christopher Lee, man, the, the, that last scene in the first film that he's in as Dracula when he's going up against Chris, uh, Peter Cushing uh, and it is violent for its time. I mean, now it's just, but the way that those actors go at it, that was like a turning point. That was where, oh, okay, what happened with, uh, it's, it's a stepping stone, right? Uh, you had the kind of creaky thing that was happening with the Universal films. World War II happens. No one's scared of vampires anymore, so they become part of the comedy routines. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's getting taken seriously again when they bring uh, Kensington Gore into it, you know, that wonderfully crazy red blood that they had in those early Kodachrome films. And the violence comes back with Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee is a uh, take no prisoner kind of crazy, angry thing. And him and Cushing being such good actors, you really think that they're they're hurting each other by the end of that film. And I think it's uh, the rest of the movie is, you know, it's it's definitely a style. Hammer is definitely a style. I happen to like it, but I get if nobody gets that that drawing room sexy kind of thing. But that end is like, that could be a modern director. That could be someone aping Scorsese in the way that they're fighting. So I, I really like it. Nice. John? Uh, talk about the Bram Stoker Dracula, my impression of it. Sure. Uh, well, when I saw it, I saw it in a theater when it came out, and um, I enjoyed it. It had a lot of problems. For one thing, I mean, I, I also thought Keanu Reeves was fairly bad at the time, but Winona Ryder is actually quite god-awful in the film. It's, oh God, yes. it's terrible acting. Um, I love the visual stuff in it. And um, I kind of saw it like a like a Ken Russell movie, like people wearing <laughs> crazy costumes and yelling at each other. And 
and just over the top acting and it can be enjoyed on that level if you think of it as basically a ken russell movie or coppola trying to do a ken russell movie <laughs> so i've never really had a, a problem with it um you know dracula is it's like tarzan and sherlock holmes they're going to be reinvented every decade and you're going to get some new thing and it's it's going to have some uh deference to the book and a lot that isn't and I uh, I bought a stack of preview magazines, that old mag that Jim yeah. Steranko published. And yes. one issue had him talking about, because he was a production designer on Dracula, he did storyboards and uh, costume designs or whatever. And he said that they were having meetings, they were thinking of setting it in the 1920s and having cars because they were thinking this has to appeal to kids growing up on MTV. It cannot appeal to just people who like the old universal movies and hammer movies it has to do something different and it has to kind of you know change hard now whether or not they really succeeded at that is up to the viewer and i mean it made a lot of money i think it was a hit at the time and spawned the the mary shelley's frankenstein follow-up or whatever so right. um which i think deep sixed all the plans for reinventing <laughs> those classic monsters uh but <laughs> you know i i enjoy it i it would be like a three-star film some things you like about it that are really cool and some things are so goofy you watch it for the camp value i guess i <laughs> the best way to put it my wife really digs the film like she thinks it's and she'll also say winona writer is just dreadful in the movie but that's all yeah. i can really give it winona and Canu's performances are bloodless <laughs> I <laughs> use that word like I they're just to, yes. so like death warmed over they're so bland and like yeah, but that's Keanu's charm. That's his thing. No, 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 no. You haven't seen it. <laughs> no, you I seen it. Like him playing over relaxed, like, hey, that's one thing. But like this is he's just so flat and uh, and, and her too. Like there's there's very there's almost no inflection in their voice when they give their lines. Yeah. And then you've got Anthony Hopkins who's like screaming through the whole movie. <laughs> I think that's intentional. I think the, those two being, you know, this, it's a bad marriage. <laughs> those two shouldn't be together. Guess yeah. who she should be with? She should be with that salty devil with the, yeah. you know, the, the rose colored glasses. Right. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that there's at times in, in films uh, around Dracula, uh, there are times when it says, party all night is much better than what you guys are doing why is life wasted on the living look what yeah. the undead are doing you know you guys are just fucking waiting to rot and you're doing nothing <laughs> and, and I, I think that's kind of the weird party atmosphere thing that is uh, appealing to the vampire as well i had someone on my show talking and she said you know i got tired of it when uh, why i was in a very deeply religious household and stuff the vampire was like that was the sexual way out, you know? And so when they took the sex out, I was like, what's the point of Dracula? When a sexless vampire, what the hell is that? You know? And, and I said, I think you're onto something <laughs> that there is, uh, whether it be sex or just something forbidden. Uh, you can look at the, the vampire and Dracula as being, you know, the devil in, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, Paradise Lost. Oh. You know, there uh, you can you can take this uh, this character and say that he's just temptation, that he's the the the, the uh, bad side of us, the shadow side, and and we we 
we fight it. But then there's the movies that say, yeah, dead is better. You know, undead is better. You know, I look better. I'm happier this way. And it kind of goes with some of the things that have happened in the world. You know, it's funny that the TB thing was happening, you know, around the time when uh, Bram Stoker is looking at this. And earlier than that, even in the Victorian times, you had tuberculosis being a big thing. And at one point, we had heroin chic. They had TB chic. Women were patting themselves white. That whole idea of the white makeup was because people looked better <laughs> while they were dying. You know, when you got really gaunt and thin and you're walking around with this whiteness, there was, uh, what was it, Camille and a couple other things where they, they heightened that, the beautiful death, the gorgeous death. And, and for at least a decade, everybody had to die beautifully because of, uh, you know, this whole thing that was happening there. I think that there is this, bit that we have where we're, we're kind of as shallow as the vampire is seen, you know, can't see himself in reflections and stuff. We can, but there is this thing of, I wish I could be sexier. I wish I could be this. And, and this is kind of like that, that devious side of that. Well, be careful what you wish for. It can end up being something like eternity. Oh my God, I'm going to be like eternally this. I think that's one of the cool things that was in interview with a vampire uh, which was in the book, but not in the movie, which was at one point, the uh, two main characters go to uh, Transylvania to find the oldest vampire. Believe it or not, he's in Transylvania, folks. And he's like over a thousand years old or something or more than that. And so they can't wait. You know, Lestat, who's much, much older than uh, uh, Louis is, uh, he's like, uh, you know, he's is thoroughly amoral. He's He sees... Uh, he's been around long enough as a vampire that he no longer has guilt or shame or anything like that. He's all about hedonism and he eats people. If, uh, he doesn't care what the, the doom is. In fact, it's more fun for him if he's sadistic. So he can't wait to see this guy that's a thousand years old. And they get there and they find him. He's a slobbering, drooling, insane thing. And just lashes at them. He's dirty. He hasn't washed. He's in squalor. There's rats laying dead everywhere. He's just been eating rats. He's babbling and they kill him out of mercy. And it deeply horrifies uh, Lestat because he thought you just keep getting better as you got older. But wh what is eternity? What is that idea of being around forever? At some point, you just want to die. How do you do it? And so uh, I thought that was a brilliant way to look at the vampire that at a certain point in uh, at face value being young forever uh being able to do all this stuff being impervious having to give up you know uv is one thing but outside of that it's not bad and yet what happens uh, there's always that thing of you outlive the party <laughs> i mean yeah you've got a point there that's kind of something that we've gained with the vampire genre the thing with Dracula is he's not always like that, though. He's he's always depicted as having some sort of like goal in mind. He's never depicted as just somebody who enjoys killing people or something like that. Not to mention most of the movies, they struggle to emulate the book because the book is not really a vampire book. It's a mystery. The it's whole a... point is that we don't know what's happening. Now this character shows up, it's kind of like the mummy. This character shows up who's related to the situation and then suddenly now people around us are starting to die. Abraham Van Helsing comes in and says, I know what's going on. And Jonathan Harker's losing his mind over the fact that Lucy keeps getting bit in the night by something and getting her blood drained. <laughs> That's a whole point of the book. and. 
because Dracula and vampires are so big now, it's hard to have a Dracula movie that does that. Because if you made a movie that was the book, it would be nothing to our audience because we all know right. that he's a vampire. He does this thing. He, you know, he has yeah. to drink blood, but that's a big thing in the book. That's a, like there's, a big yeah. deal. There's no, it's a huge... nothing, there's nothing to figure out. We already know that's yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing that's funny about those early books and the early movies. Uh, the idea of the supernatural and the ghosts and the monsters and everything, that was uh, kind of an odd thing to start talking about. So many of the books were police procedurals. You know, uh, Dracula is kind of a police procedural. You know, you, you go there, you find out what's going on. Same thing with uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I think even Frankenstein yeah. is almost like it's, it's journal yeah. things right and uh stephen king did that with carrie the carrie is all third person recollections of carrie white it's not like the movie it's uh, at all so there was this whole distancing that was done from the horror that we know by taking it and still having it one foot in uh romantic literature and one in uh the uh Oh, my goodness. What was the one that came before, actually, the romanticisms, uh, the romantics and the, where we have uh, the uh, Industrial Revolution comes out of the uh, logic piece, the science side. So there's that whole thing of stra straddling those uh, that are in those novels of that time. And they don't. They're, they're funny to, to watch because uh, are funny to read because you're like going, man, this is really it's almost like they're afraid to tell you that it's a vampire story. And that was how the first movie was. The strangest love story you'll ever see was the poster that they had <laughs> for that. They didn't say anything about Dracula going like this. It's two, uh, a man and a woman embracing and uh, holding her in this, in this interesting way. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's funny that I'm glad that you brought that up because that's, uh, that's one of the reasons it has to be interpreted uh, over and over again. I mean, and what's the point of doing Dracula as it was done back at that time horror is always talking about now that's what's cool about horror horror says the thing that we don't want to say about what's going on it tells the truth about us and sometimes it's an ugly truth which is why i think we got torture porn in the 2000s hmm. yeah, yeah i mean that's the other thing too with vampires overall is dracula tends to fall into this category it becomes the movies become more and more how do I say this? Invasive. It becomes more and more about the inside out feeling of being dead and being a vampire and the goods and the bads and how you have and how all the vampires we meet are like, you know, ready to just like kill on a whim for survival or otherwise. And then it becomes more and more. I don't want to use the word intimate, but it is this there's a disconnect between us and Dracula because he's established as an elite. He's established as part of the, you know, the oligarchy that is in Transylvania and all that stuff. So when he comes around, it's an, he's an important person regardless. He's just a very, he's just a stranger. We just don't know who he is, but he's always important. And then that slowly kind of changes as we get more and more details of like seeing him interact with people and seeing vampires interact with, uh, with people and how, creepier it gets less less focused on just jumping out at you but it's gets a under your gets in your blood <laughs> yeah and that's the thing too in some of these portrayals i mean on the one hand you've got um uh christopher lee who's like this feral dracula mm -hmm. and, and on the other hand you've got um oh my god i'm having a brain fart here uh, oh, the Frank Langella Dracula, who's this romantic side, you know, and actually, I think uh, the movie Blackula sort of he kind of encapsulates yeah. both of those aspects. 
So yeah. I know some of us are up against the clock. So, John, um, is there a movie, a Dracula movie in your mind that maybe gets it right, even if it's not 100 percent accurate to the novel? Uh, oh, gosh, I am constantly told just Franco's Dracula movie <laughs> is the closest to the novel. I have never watched it all these years. And I've watched all these terrible Jess Franco movies and I've never seen his Count Dracula film. Uh, it's something I'm going to have to go out of my way and finally just sit down and make myself watch it. Cause I've had people tell, Hey, it's interesting. It's not quite the novel, but it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it. And you know, you'd probably enjoy it. It's good for a Franco film, that sort of thing. And uh, <laughs> that's, you know, uh, <laughs> So that's my, that's on my my watch list. I'll put it that way. Um, I don't. I think my favorite version, oddly, is probably the Jack Palance TV movie. Yes. And because I watched it with my kid, he loved it. That was his first Dracula, and then he watched Bela Lugosi. He hasn't watched the Hammer stuff, but that one is so like so good and surprisingly not dated at all when you watch it. It's. I mean, I think it still works very well today. It did start the reincarnation nonsense. I don't care for, but. Polanski is so good in that movie and everything else is done just right and I also really I guess the closest to the novel is the Louis Jordan BBC thing even though there's right. probably some things that are different but it seemed it really felt like the novel of course it's so long it's like reading the novel uh right. it definitely doesn't have all this stuff with Jonathan Harker writing back about getting recipes and stuff so which is <laughs> A weird detail from the novel i remember um but i really like the louis jordan version i think it's the closest to the book you know you know give or take my favorite vampire movie i used to say it was near dark but i didn't care too much for it on a recent rewatch. um but i i would say it's it's uh the night stalker the original kolchak oh. tv movie that's mm, probably my favorite mm. vampire movie still works today uh i think jaws lifted from it uh <laughs> there's there's some definite similarities there and uh, I think it's uh, it's fantastic. It's like still holds up, you know, something about those TV movies from that era and Dan Curtis. Uh, I think that guy got the vampire more than most, like at least in a timeless. This is this will always be scary type of, you know, angle or viewpoint of or in how he portrayed vampires. Thank oh, you. God bless. God bless Dan Curtis. Yeah. Every, yeah, yeah I, I mean, know. everything that he 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 saved horror. He was the horror guy in the 70s for kids. You know, yeah. there was really nothing that was touching uh, from Dark Shadows, of course, uh, all the way through to him doing um, Burn Offerings as a, as a right. film. Uh, he, he was always on. He's, he's like the unsung hero, unless you're a horror fan. You know, it's a name that's kind of been forgotten. And, and even there was a documentary about him. And it was sad because it was the family doing the documentary. And so they spent all the time going, no, no, he did Winds of War. <laughs> he did Winds of War. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, and he also did this thing too. No, no, he did it. You know, so it was really sad that they they kind of just uh, like the Norless tapes. Does anybody remember yes. the Norless tapes? Yes. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. like I think that was pre Colcheck the Night Stalker, that and was, they were gonna. Um, the, what's his Ray, name from the Ray Finnis? Yeah, Roy Finnis. Yeah. yeah, and they were supposed think, to do. A I sequel. think it was after. I think it was after. But at that time, I noticed that the TV networks were really. It seems like everybody was trying to do the occult detective character and mm -hmm. nobody succeeded. There's a bunch of TV movies for that era and attempts to do occult detectives like uh, the occult detective hero. And yeah. uh, it's strange because it, I don't think it was a huge thing in, in books. There's some old pulp characters like that, but uh, they were really pushing that. But that's where the Norlis tapes came from. I think, hey, we need our occult hero. You know, right. like yeah. uh, what's that Leslie Nielsen TV movie where he's 
he's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes type of detective, oh. but he goes after monsters and it's like, wow. Oh gosh, that. I'll have to, it's, um, I have to dig it up. I think it was the first one and it was an attempt at doing like a TV pilot in the mid sixties. And it's, it's really entertaining. You just have to get Frank Drebin and the Naked Gun movies out of your head. While you're right. Watching. That's that's always the hard part these days. You know what so, that makes yeah. me think of too is that one Spectre with Robert Culp. Yes, was that was another one. Guy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So those are really cool. So I have something since uh, you showed a hardcover book. I just have to show this. This is the Marvel Comics Tomb of Dracula, my yes. old collection, and this is the last issue. It only lasted seventy issues, yeah. but. This thing is uh, one of my favorite artists of all time, Gene Colan. Colan yeah. And yeah. The, the artwork in this is so great. But as uh, I'm trying to see if I can find a very quick picture, you can see how it came out in the, in the 70s, 76, 77 was the time of that book. And uh, you can see how Palance is all over that Dracula. Mm. It's got his nose and his eyes yep. and his anger. Yet at other points, he looks a little bit different. Uh, it wasn't a Jimmy Smith's yet, but there are moments where he looks like Jimmy Smith's. But this uh, magazine was <laughs> so great. I mean, you get Blade from this magazine. Blade is one of the characters that comes right. into uh, the Tomb of Dracula. And it was super violent for its time. There was some really intense violence. What was really great about it was how expressionistic it got. So there's this thing... Uh, for this book where uh, Jack, uh, no, I said Jack Palance, but um, Dracula is being attacked by Harker and a few other people all together, Van Helsing. They're all there waiting to, to kill him and he can turn into a mist. So this one guy who's like this strange Satanist that's working with him shoots him, but he turns into a mist. And at that point, Dracula has a son named Janus and the bullet pierces him and kills the kid. So in a comic, you're seeing a dead baby in the in the mother's hands. But what I think is amazing is the artwork that Colin does, which is this top thing. Let me see if I can do that there. No words. It's just expressions. And then it goes to him crushing the guy's head on the in the next page. And there's an entire page just to reaction shots of like these people were coming to kill him, and they kill the son. And all of a sudden, there's a moment like everybody just cool down now. <laughs> things are about to get crazy and it does i mean he they have a thing where the guy's going oh my god oh my god you're crushing my face and dracula starts to turn into a bat but a huge six foot five bat his face starts turning bat like he's so insane and they crush his fucking head uh in the book and it's just amazing how how well once again the idea is it's nothing it's a marvel comic and it's nothing to do with the book dracula it has the character dracula and it's the character of dracula that's put through all the ringers from christopher lee from jack plants all these things to land in a pulpy comic that in and itself holds the spirit better than many dracula films because right. it just has this darkness and it has this uh, this idea of the otherworldliness of him and the briefness, you know, you, you have a, a briefness to the stories that are in comic books it lasted 70, but they, they ended up killing it off. And the way that they go down that storyline is a constant fight. You know, there's a battle. The battle is Dracula loses being the Prince of darkness at a certain point. You know, he, uh, there's uh, the Lord of the vampires that is, and they're after him. The vampires are trying to kill him. And it's like such a weird, weird, unique kind of story that completely engrossed me for two years while it was around. And at that point, I was 10, 11, scared shitless by these comics. 
Right. And it's funny because like I said, this, um, this book and record is also one of those, it's in a, a, one of the comics, the, um, Tomb of Dracula's. And there's one, let's see if I can, if I'm doing it right here, this one, this panel, these two panels always stuck out to me. It's Van Helsing who's in a wheelchair and he shoots wooden yes. darts out of the wheelchair. Yeah. And I, I wow. just always loved that of that comic, even though yeah. the rest of it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. The last page, wow. this is where it ends. Oh, That's yeah. how Dracula ends in, in issue 70. And it's just um, wonderfully, uh, what I loved about uh, Gene Colan, he wasn't so precise. He wasn't Jack Kirby rigid uh, and <laughs> inked heavily. It wasn't John Buscema uh, anatomically strong. It was this misty kind of uh, impressionistic way of, uh, of drawing that I thought was so elegant. And there were a lot of different artists that did very, very elegant art in the 70s in that silver era. So I'm going to throw this out to the floor. What what do you guys think is the appeal of Dracula, considering the fact that the book was written, you know, well over 100 years ago? You know, why has the character endured so long? I think he's us. I think the reason that he endures so much is almost like he is that shadow self. He's not Frankenstein. Frankenstein, half the Frankenstein monster, that is. Uh, he's doesn't want to be at all he's created he's a mistake he's he's someone that i relate the most to frankenstein is who i relate the most to i feel that outsider vibe uh but uh i think the reason the vampire is uh the reason uh, so popular is because he is our our id he's what we want to do he's like why comedy works comedy works because uh we watch a character do something that we'd never get away with and uh monster movies horror movies are usually we we have see someone go through something we'd never want to go through and the vampire straddles both of those things and so he's he's the wish fulfillment and yet it's a tragic side right so uh when you look at the vampire the vampire does anything it fucking wants dracula is in charge dracula beds all the women dracula looks elegant he's not an oaf you know he is uh, even when he, he smells a little weird in the first book and stuff like that but uh with, with all of that he still even though his empire is crumbling he still has people in his sway he's able to, to move people He's able to manipulate people, get what he wants. He's eternally young when most of us feel as if we're awkward and we're, we're maybe ugly or we're getting old. Uh, he has this whole thing, but there's this one problem. <laughs> Just can't have sunlight and is cursed for eternity. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, uh, the idea of the vampire, I think, is a strange wish fulfillment that also allows us to feel somewhat morally superior at the end it's like well we're not vampires you know it's good that he got stabbed at the end and he's dead you know that kind of thing we get both the best of both worlds with uh with that and yeah. uh it's it's supernatural too i i think you're right on that when it comes to the vampires for me dracula there's a, there's a couple of varieties that he's been um displayed with and like i said my favorite is bella lugosi but to me he's like the the manipulator he sits in on his throne and tells people what to do and things get done without him having to force anybody he's just got the charm he walks in and people just instantly give him respect whether they know him or not you know women are instantly drawn to him and that's something yes i think we all want but specifically for me with dracula 
there's another side too that we get to see, and this is actually I think best described and um the best best shown in the Monster Squad Dracula, um because mm. he's walking down the street and cops are like running up to him trying to hit him. He just grabs them and snaps their neck multiple times. He gets shot a couple of times and continues walking and snaps that guy's neck. That to me is a different Dracula because while he's the leader of you know the monsters and stuff, he's also a very much a forceful like you said. Um, you guys described uh. Christopher Lee's Dracula as very feral and very aggressive. So there's this two sides of the same coin. For me personally, I prefer the manipulator Dracula overall, but it's nice when you get to see, uh, you know, Dracula get his hands dirty in that sense. Uh, I'll go back to Van Helsing in 2004. It's, it's really interesting. You get to see him telling people what to do. He's running the show. He's got all this power. He's, he's a very kind of a small dude, um, but he's instantly respected by just about everybody and feared. And then at the end, you get to see what he looks like on the inside and you get to see him actually have to do something about it. So I, I like the two sides of Dracula. And I think that's part of what makes him so appealing is like you said, he could have this in, under your skin feeling but he's also this just interesting and elegant character that we actually enjoy because we aren't him right right yeah so it's uh, like the balance between all of his powers and all of his weaknesses like when i was watching all these movies i was thinking oh yeah he can do this and he can do that and he can do this and i was like thinking wow god he's got so many powers and then i realized oh but he's vulnerable to this this and this so it's 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 very much like the deal with the devil you know you you, you want something you got to give something up and yeah we want to be him but we don't want to be him right mm -hmm. right yeah yeah that's what i was going to say too and I, I i've said it before in the show i kind of stole this from you know, the late gilbert godfrey um who we missed but he had he had this theory about the universal monsters he said that um frankenstein is like us when we're born and we're a child we're starting to grow uh, trying to learn about the world around us then the wolfman represents puberty how your body's changing your emotions are out of control you can't you know you're trying to wrestle with controlling all this this emotion inside of you then dracula's the guy that we want to be when we grow up he's suave he, like you said scott he dresses nicely he gets all the women you know and then the mummy represents old age you know, so I, 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 that's one thing about wow. the universal monsters. Yeah, it's a great theory. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and the Gilman is my goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the Gilman was when you're on the high school swim team. <laughs> so I just want to take a quick moment here, John and Scott. How are you guys doing on time? Uh, I'm gonna, I got a bail. So um, I do want to say that uh, the Leslie Nielsen movie I mentioned was Dark Intruder, but I just got a text. Ah. If I got to go get the kid, but um, it's Dark Intruder. Check it out. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it might be a good movie to cover like next year for your, uh, your next big uh, Halloween event for the yes. podcast. But, awesome. uh, but yeah. And also uh, let's face it. Dracula is, I, I would make it as simple as he's just the coolest Bond villain that never was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and can you, uh, John, can you give out your website? Uh, midnightmoviecowboys.com uh, you might have to do www dot on that um, you can also find us on YouTube we have a YouTube channel um, because we've made it a video podcast now because we have the segment whip out your junk where we show what we we bought that week and uh, that's oh. Roger still laughs at that that gag but uh, the uh, it's uh, every week we try to put out a new episode we're doing Munsters month which by the time this podcast is out that'll be wrapped up and uh, we're covering the monsters, but usually we'll cover action movies, horror films, comedies, almost anything, old TV, 
just whatever we feel like covering. But uh, yeah, check it out. MidnightMovieCowboys.com. We're also on iTunes and all the usual podcast outlets. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today, John. All right. Later, guys. Take it easy, John. All right. So, um, Mike, of the f- movies that you watched, which one would you say was the best? Spence, I don't know. Were you here? Did you hear the list of movies that he watched in preparation for this? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. He also sent it to us. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I I have to I have to go with um, the Frank Langella one. Um, I think he. I just love the way the movie's directed. I I really think it's uh, great that the. Um, What's his name? Plays Van Helsing. Um, the, 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 you know, the, the quintessential actor there. Uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, um, he's, he's just amazing. Uh, he gives the movie such, you know, gravitas and they take, they really take it seriously. And yes, the Frank Langella one is like suave and romantic, but he's also really like, tall and i like that he's kind of more a little more youthful so he carries with him this this air of experience and and, you know but he's very intimidating um and at the end you know when he gets when he gets pissed at the end he really olivier yes lawrence olivier Olivier. thank you (laughs) thank you (laughs) it's like what's his name what's his name yes lawrence olivier thank you so much uh he's Ben, he's the, the hands down the best Van Helsing. He's so awesome. I mean, no, no disrespect to Hugh Jackman, uh, but uh, <laughs> I love Hugh Jackman and pretty much everything. But, but as Van Helsing, yeah, he's just amazing. And the end, I mean, this goes back to some other stuff you guys were saying. The the end scene in the in the uh, the nineteen seventy nine, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. nineteen seventy nine uh, with Frank Langella. He he gets up out of the you know the uh, what's his name Van Helsing's trying to stake him he he wakes up comes out grabs the stake out of his hand impales him into the wall <laughs> like just impales Van Helsing into the wall and then um, goes after Harker and Harker shoots him in the chest like five times and he just stands there and just he just doesn't even blink he's like Are you done <laughs> you know and then he comes up and he's you know he's I mean he's he's really you know strangling the shit out of him and killing him and then they do this thing where they there's a hook uh, anyway uh, something gets hooks into uh yeah. him and pulls him out of the top and then it seems like he's burning and like he's dead he's burned alive in the sunlight and the girl they keep switching the minas and lucy's in these different movies i think it's lucy in this one um at the end she was like in the process of being changed into a vampire and then it seems like she comes out of it right and it seems like she goes back to normal but then when she and harker look up to where dracula was there's this weird black shape kind of like you know that comes out from behind the sail of the boat and just kind of flits off into the distance so like okay he wasn't killed exactly and her the look on her face is like there's still some vampire in there. Like she's like suppressing a smile. Like you can totally see it in her. And I love that because it's like, they don't just kill him at the end and that's it. No more, no more Dracula. There's still this lingering, like not only does it seem like, well, he survived and might come back, but what he did during the movie to her is not gone. She still belongs to him to some, on some level. And I just thought that 
that was that whole ending was so fantastic. And earlier in the movie, when Mina, Mina is the first one that gets turned into a, a vampire, and then Van Helsing has to stake her face to face. And she's going, Papa, Papa, and she's all gross and nasty looking with black yeah. eyes. And I thought in the 70s they just went for it. They were like, fuck it. We're gonna make her we're gonna, we're just gonna go for the horror, you know. And and that was really a, a, a heartfelt moment that he had to be like six inches from her face with her calling him Papa as she was dying with something he was holding in his hands. It was like, oh man, this poor bastard. Like he his first his, his daughter is they tell him his daughter's dead. Then he finds out she's undead, and then he's the one that you know, it was sort of like an accident. She sort of falls into him, but still like he's looking her in the eyes when she dies as this other thing that she's been turned into. And I was like, oh, that, that's gotta suck. I felt so bad for Ben Van Helsing. Wow. So yeah, I love that movie. It was so great. I, I remember my parents went to see that. It was one of the few horror movies they didn't take me to see. And they went and saw the stage play and I could be wrong, but I think Langella played him on the stage. As he did. Well. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the beginning of that movie. I remember watching it and being terrified. And then I think I probably fell asleep. <laughs> it's one of those late night horror movies. <laughs> it's one of the only ones, too, that doesn't start in Transylvania. It starts with a shipwreck. And then right. and then like Dracula's coffin is on the ship. And I think even right. some crates of dirt or whatever. And so it starts with the shipwreck and then boom, the, the ship is found on, you know, on the edge of England shore and everybody's dead and blah, blah, blah. And then he's just in England, like from there on, there's no like back and forth of, you know, Carfax Abbey, real estate, anything. He just, he's just in London. And then he, yeah. I mean, I, I think always he lives love in Carfax Abbey. But... Yeah. I, I love any time that they, they, focus on the Demeter, the, what ha, what happened. To that. That's why I'm really looking forward to the, the Last Voyage of the Demeter, the film that's coming out by um, Overdahl, Andre Overdahl. He did um, um, the uh, stories to keep you up at night. I always, I always mess up that thing. But he also did um, the Troll Hunter film, which I thought was fantastic. Oh, and okay. and the uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I think is fantastic. That so was I, really good. I saw yeah, that. It's yeah, fantastic film. And so I really have high hopes. The entire movie is going to be based on what... See, it's one of the hard things, too. You know what happens in the Demeter, but it's going to be based on being in there. The, it's going to turn into like this ghost ship kind of thing with the, with a vampire on it. Is and, Demeter uh, the name of the boat? I don't know. That's Demeter. the name of the boat, yes. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. So Sorry. Um, I was like, what? Yeah. So the, <laughs> so the shipwreck and stuff is a, is a, a really kind of like a great focal point to start. I mean, uh, the I, I can't remember if the book starts in Carfax Abbey or not, but um, I know the movies uh, had always started with uh, because it, it had that police procedural thing of uh, having uh, what's his name come up and and get sucked in. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I can't remember if the Demeter was usually uh, that's the thing that I always remember. That's what the ones yeah. that I really love are ones that kind of bring uh, little asides to that. Like the uh, uh, George Romero one, Martin has a train. He comes in on a train into uh. Pittsburgh and uh, he kills a woman on that train. And uh, it's one of the more disturbing things that movie is so reverent of the ideas of Dracula, but doesn't have Dracula in it at all. And uh, it turns Pittsburgh into a coffin. Uh, 
You know, it talks about how uh, the Rust Belt is falling apart in the 70s. And it's just this kid who thinks he's an 86-year-old uh, vampire and his parents died in an accident. Now he's been brought to uh, downtown Pittsburgh and uh, he stays with uh, a cousin who hates him and thinks that he is Nosferatu. And they think he, the kid's mentally ill, the, family member, the other family members. And it's him getting on the radio at night. What I thought was great is they talked about what it would be like to be a vampire when you're not like eating people and stuff, right? How lonely would the life of a vampire be? And so he's talking to a late night radio host and going, the movies get it wrong all the time. It has nothing to do with garlic and, you know, all of these things. And so he talks as if he's uh, uh, a real vampire, even though he might just be this 16 year old kid. And then the end of the movie, we're not sure if he's unhinged and he's like killing people. He's going around town and uh, drugging people with hypodermic needles. So hypodermic needles and a razor instead of uh, hypodermic fangs. And it's, it's a really intriguing, disturbing, really kind of beautiful take on the vampire uh, as kind of a creepy beast and as a, a romantic, lonely character going through life. And, and so I, I love that. I love that uh, there's a... Uh, well, I could just go on and on about the the movies that aren't quite Dracula movies that I think really do Dracula good. In other words, the, the thing that we love about vampires. Right. And the I, one I, you're I would, talking about is called Martin. Yes, Martin. Yes, Martin. George George Romero's Martin. And uh, I would also give big uh, kudos to. Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting it now. Uh, Tony Scott, uh, Susan Sarandon, David oh. Bowie. Oh, the hunger, the hunger. hunger yes, yeah. I, I I love what they do there, uh, even though it's not a Dracula film. But I right. think that that is uh, this wonderful look at the forbidden and the pain of the forbidden. I also love uh, Let the Right One In, also not a Dracula film, but really gets in on that. The deviousness. Right. If you're talking about manipulation, Spencer, watch that film because it's just a 10 year old girl. Right. The Dracula is a 10 year old girl. Do you talk about the original, the foreign one? Yeah, I look at the foreign one, but I think the the American one's just as good because uh, she's maybe a couple years older, but not even that. And that takes place during the Reagan 80s. And I think that was a perfect kind of time period for that. Both of those movies are really good because you can't it's it's the wonderful Venus flytrap of the, the vampire. Right. It allures you. And it, it takes you off of your defenses uh, and you're drawn in and then bam. So this little girl, uh, why would you be afraid of a little girl, little girl yeah. out in a park at night, uh, you know, pretending she's hurt and a guy leans over and she just jumps up because she's a supernatural beast. She can take a guy down. No problem. And so it's just one of those movies where a friendship is genuine on one side on the vampire side. Is it? Or is it necessity? Right. And it's so wonderful. It's sorrowful. And it's violent as shit. And it's got some really cool ideas in it. I, I, I thought it was incredible. And I think that that movie speaks volumes for the Dracula idea more than some of the Dracula films. Certainly more than Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> I just wanted to mention, well, first of all, I'm going to, that's been on my list. I got to watch that. But every time they talked about Carfax Abbey, all I could think of is this. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they did it for that reason. <laughs> oh, excuse me. 
So, uh, Spence, I know you, um, Lugosi is your Dracula. Um, are there, we talked about video games a little bit. Is there Dracula in other media that you think has been overlooked or has done it really well? Uh, well, yes. Uh, there are a couple of Draculas that have shown up over the years that I got to experience as a kid. Um, and... Obviously, uh, Richard Roxburgh was a great Dracula, and that was a really that helped fuel my imagination personally. Van Helsing, that whole movie, uh, especially because it is the focus of those two characters, but it's far beyond, and it's much more akin to the Universal monsters. Um, but there's other Draculas in certain media's. Uh, I don't know if any you guys mentioned your comic books where uh, Dracula showed up, and they're like Marvel comics. Um, have you guys ever heard of the movie Batman versus Dracula? <laughs> yeah. It's really good for it's surprisingly good. good. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, I saw it as a kid, so naturally I loved it. But uh, Peter Stromare does the voice uh -huh. of Dracula, and it's awesome. And he comes in, and he's once again this same character of walks in, he's like, you know, like six and a half feet tall. Uh, so he walks in dressed super nicely, very, very beautiful complexion. Everybody's interested in him to some extent, but. It, the interesting part is that he's facing another Batman, essentially. So it's, yeah, a, it's a really, yeah. it's a really good movie. Uh, also, <laughs> the Dracula, yeah, that's actually part of the part, something I enjoyed about that movie is Bruce Wayne is like struggling, like, is this what I'm going to become if I, you know, keep getting more violent as Batman? I like that that was a part of it. Um, other Dracula is um, something else Peter Stormare was in, but he didn't voice Dracula. Was the Wolfenstein series that I mentioned on Netflix? very very good i watched the first two seasons i thought they were fantastic i heard that the first three i think i actually watched but they were fantastic they're based on video games which yeah. usually aren't that good but those though were fantastic uh adaptations and it portrayed dracula as a similar character in the sense of like you know tall regal and interesting but he's this king and he's this he's this king of the supernatural and he has you know he meets this woman and he marries her and she ends up getting killed by the church so his the love of his life is now gone he's a very human-esque character the only difference is he just has to kill people to survive and can't have you know vitamin d so <laughs> he they, yeah. they portray this like suicide mission he goes on he summons all the creatures of the night literally that's what they're called and goes on this rampage and it, it's up to you know the main characters to essentially stop it and it it really digs into this type of character and i really enjoyed that uh, as a as a Dracula per se, Peter Stormare voices one of the uh, like the generals that uh, he summons. It's really cool. Uh, I really enjoyed it. The the best part is when um the creatures of the night are showing up and the main character he has his whip and he whips one of the demons and it explodes and he's like yeah the whip's consecrated for necessity. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's fun. I, I I had a friend who swore up and down by those and I was like yeah right and so now I've heard it from another uh, source. It, yeah, it might work. You never know. Uh, something else I liked that was less religious. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the, obviously the Resident Evil series, kind of famous for video games. The Resident Evil 8, as a the latest game, uh, part of the allure of what they were showing was this big, like, seven and a half foot tall, like, attractive woman and she was a vampire essentially and the you know it's 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 sci-fi um series but they try to do famous monsters and they have the wolfman they have uh dracula but it's this really really tall woman and instead of having three wives she has three daughters and it's a really interesting dynamic because they act the same way of like you know 
trying to like kill you and hunt you down and stuff like that uh the explanation for how you like properly kill them isn't uh sunlight but it's like cold so if you have to like expose them to the outside air and then you can like hit them and stuff like that um and that was it, that was really interesting especially when i'm running around her little castle getting chased by her it was terrifying but they had other illusions uh they had a whole gilman sequence they had characters that resembled uh the invisible man they had a character that referenced frankenstein like you literally fighting these like cyborg monsters that he's creating and it's really really interesting and all that stuff so there's a lot of allusions to Dracula that I've seen and noticed. I had to explain to my friends the Universal Monsters for them to get it from Resident Evil 8. Uh, Pop, we've actually talked about this with Pat. Uh, he was uh, a while ago. We were talking about this game. Um, and I mean, obviously, Sesame Street had the count. Right. Uh, so that's yep. pretty good. Uh, for a lot of other Draculas, I've just seen more, uh, like you said, Scott, a lot more allusions to him, um, the Resident Evil one. Uh, that's really the, the biggest one I can think of in recent years. Um, I haven't, I, they actually remastered, uh, some of the, some of the games. So I'm kind of interested in, um, well, Spence, can, can you pause for one second? Cause, yeah. uh, Scott has to leave. So, Scott, thanks for joining us. And why don't you tell everyone where to find you online? Thanks so very much for having me. This is a lot of fun. So my podcast is called Hellbent for Horror. Uh, it's a podcast about everything that's related to horror. I talk about horror as art and social commentary. You'd never uh, figure that out, right? But I talk about movies and stories that shape me. And uh, you can find me on uh, hellbentforhorror.com. That's the, the main spot where you can find my book as well as my podcast. But you can find my podcast on any of the areas that you usually listen to your favorite podcasts on. And I hope you enjoy if you do decide to listen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to have you Thank on the show you. again. All right. Thank yeah. you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Take care, everybody. Take care. Bye -bye. Bye. I'm sorry, Spence. Continue. Uh, I was just I was finishing up with like, the, that's the biggest Dracula illusion that I've seen recently. Um, so my favorite Dracula is Lugosi, but my favorite to watch is still going to be Richard Roxburgh. But that's more of just a preference. I, I fully get that he's not that that crazy of a, of a Dracula and not that substantial. And, you know, obviously it's a more recent movie, so the effects tend to be a little bit more intense. Right, right. Michael, I wanted to ask you, um, you said you watched Horror of Dracula. Did we watch that? I, I know I've seen it when I was younger. Did I show that to you when we were kids or teens? Sorry, I'm double checking which one that was. <laughs> uh, horror it's of Dracula. Was the horror Lee. movie about Dracula. <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, I was trying to think of the main actor so i could lock oh i should have just said christopher lee <laughs> um the christopher lee peter cushing one i i i know we watched a bunch of peter cushing movies together uh so i'm gonna say yes well i was just I'm, curious I'm what was convinced. watching it this time what was your opinion of it i liked it a lot i think christopher lee's fucking fantastic and peter cushing is just magic like and anything that he's in is just so he's so awesome to watch um i'm so jealous of him <laughs> like his <laughs> like his career and you know like his just his, anyway um uh classy but he's also like vicious when he needs to be and yeah very intense um and the final i mean we, we talked briefly the other day about the final uh showdown between them and what scott was saying was yeah christopher lee was pr pretty i mean 
I think he was talking, Scott was talking about a different movie maybe, but um, at the end, there is kind of a pretty good fight between um, Van Helsing and Dracula. Uh, Dracula throws him across the room and, and uh, I think he lands on a table. The table breaks into splinters, you know, a smaller table. And then uh, um, he jumps up, uh, Van Helsing jumps up, runs to the, across the long dining table to the far end of the room leaps at the at the curtains the, the wall ceiling the wall to uh, floor to ce- floor to ceiling curtains grabs them and with his body weight pulls them all down so the sunlight comes in and uh <clears throat> he doesn't and then dracula doesn't burst into flame but he's starting to like falter and you know he's suffering and then uh, van helsing runs back like toward the camera on on the same table picks up these two silver candlesticks as he's coming and he jumps down and turns to face him and he just goes Pete, like forms them into a cross and right. like bears down he just stands over him and bears down on him like you like he's just really like die you know <laughs> and then of course dracula like melts away but yeah christopher lee is amazing and um the, the pairing of the, the two of them is just great. Yeah. Awesome. And in that scene, too, when they're fighting, he first does the candlesticks like the cross like that. But then something happens. I forget in the fight, he shifts and he turns it. But oh, it's like still that. a cross, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always love that aspect of it. Something I like about the cross thing was uh, something they loosely explained. I keep calling it Wolfenstein. Castlevania. Fuck's sake. Uh, oh, Castlevania. Ah, yes. Castlevania, yes. God. Wolfenstein is not that. Castlevania is um what it was. And uh, part one of the things was, oh, a vampire is just an advanced predator. So if you show it geometric shapes, it starts to screw with it. And I was like, huh, that's a really interesting way to like throw in crosses and have them matter, but you don't have to have them all religiously because it, yeah. it becomes this more of like any religion works. And that's also in... um vampire the masquerade that's a big thing there's a whole like couple of pages on you know creatures and people with true faith and how detrimental that is it can be any of the major religions so it's really interesting Mm. there i like when it's kind of disconnected from that i also like the idea that dracula is just allergic to garlic so the garlic thing kind of caught on for vampires but it really is just a dracula thing um right i've heard that i I don't really like that to me that's like midichlorians it's like <laughs> you're, you're trying to explain something scientific. I mean, granted, garlic is pretty lame, a pretty lame weapon. But well, garlic yeah, I, kills the poisons in your blood. I think yeah. that's why it's become an antithesis for vampires. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's fine to me. I just I do enjoy a good explanation of things. I much mm. like I liked Underworld when it had this like very scientific view of what vampires and werewolves were. Mm. I very much enjoy that personally. I don't mind. I love the supernatural. Don't get me wrong, but I. I'm a little iffy on like religious stuff just because it feels inconsistent mm. uh, and stuff like that. So for me personally, I love that. Um, but I also like the idea of just like Dracula made a deal with the devil and now he's here and it just, he spreads it. Right. It's kind of dangerous. Right. So we're going to wrap things up here. Um, and Mike, uh, Michael, Michael, why don't you give us your final thoughts on Dracula, the character? Ah. Uh. Um, I think Dracula is cool. I, I've always been more of a werewolf person than a vampire person. Um, I guess because vampires are manipulative and that I know that's supposed to be part of their cool charm and stuff, but it, it always rubs me the wrong way. And the, I, you know, a monster ripping into pieces and eating you is one thing and it's fine, but like zombies eating people is like more cannibalistic and the, the whole 
vampire some vampire things are really did either of you guys see um midnight mass yeah. the series that's uh, i'm not sure what streaming service maybe on netflix or whatever see it watch it it's hmm. it's really i mean it's it's got religious stuff in it but it it's really i think it's super well done um and there are some vampiric elements in it for sure and um this sometimes i just find it so gross so anyway you're asking me about dracula in particular um i like him when he gets nasty like when he's more aggressive and he's you know full-on like my favorite scene in the bram stoker one which i i hate that movie as i said but the one scene that i sort of like is when he's the six foot uh bat and they're you know van helsing and the other guys are all kind of trying to surround him in this room and he's i don't know if he's flying or standing on something and looking down at them and that when he's like full-on like you know that's the the vampire stuff that i like i like when they when they go all like monstery and less manipulatively but um yeah i like dracula i guess i like i I would i would like the idea of a female dracula a little bit more i wouldn't mind a a, a female vampire messing with my head a little bit but (laughs) play resident evil 8 i promise you you will not be disappointed okay cool um yeah he's he's great i mean he's not he's not my favorite like i won't go to see a movie just because it's dracula i would wait to hear if it was good or not um but yeah i mean i got no problem with him he's not i like him but he's not like my top top favorite thing but nice spence uh i'm in the same boat with you michael uh that i personally like werewolves a little bit more just because i like creatures more so i agree with you that when they go much more feral it's much more interesting and entertaining i think for any vampire thing like once again why i like the 2004 van helsing is they had that as a as a feature of the vampire and when i rewatched i didn't even realize part of that movie was the fact that they don't show it they show like the shadow of it and then you start hearing it and then it's like you know you, you get glimpses of it and not until the end for the final fight and you get to see this awesome two terrifying creatures go go toe to toe and i i thought that was really enjoyable i always loved that um and that's just the style of stuff that i like i mean hell i'm building a role-playing game based around that kind of content so you know that's really what i enjoy dracula for me is probably the quintessential vampire i think he's the most famous and for good reason um i think the original dracula book is extremely good but if you're going into it expecting a traditional vampire book you're not going to be all that happy about it because it's not that um later movies some of them get it right some of them do different things um and overall i probably would go see a dracula film i did see dracula untold of like my own volition i just sat down and watched it one day uh i really enjoyed it uh i liked what they were trying to do i i like a different take on it i like yeah 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 i like that it's different i'm all for you know them changing things up separating it out if we get the same Dracula film three times in a row, it gets a little repetitive. So I'm all for it. Um, One of my favorite characters as a universal monster. uh, So that Gothic horror fuels my imagination and Bela Lugosi uh, always has a special place in in my heart and in my history. (laughs) 
You reminded me of something else I just want to say to those of you out there who may be listening, who are thinking that you want to read the original Bram Stoker book. I, I have to say it's it's long and it's dry. I mean, if you're super interested in at least my experience of it was like if it's if you're super interested in the concept of Dracula and you ha you have it in you to, to get through it, it's not long. I, should, I mean, it's not long. I shouldn't say it's long. It's it's uh, slow. Like not a, it's a it's a book, you know, so like <laughs> not a lot happens. And Van Helsing, my memory of Van Helsing is that it takes him three pages to say what you could have said in three sentences. Like <laughs> he just goes on and 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 like breaks every damn thing he says down into like says all the implied stuff that doesn't need to be said. And just he just, just oh my, I just remember reading it, like looking up from the book and going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> like he yeah, just, yeah. Just, I, I remember I mean, that too. People don't make these 10 minute speeches in the middle of a conversation. Just say what you need to say and move on. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's yeah. hilarious. It's an interesting read. I really enjoy it. Um, mm. And it spawns this, you know, crazy cool character. It did. I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're a big reader, then, then great, but don't expect it to be like thrilling because it's, um, you gotta, you yeah, gotta really want it. If you yeah. remember that it's the 1880s and Bram Stoker is, has right. written something that's never been written before. It's pretty True. good. So sure. Dracula is one of those characters that I'll always come back to. I'll always enjoy them in something. Um, the original Frankenstein novels kind of like that too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not somebody who has a short attention span for reading. I'm perfectly happy to chisel through a long novel if it's, you know, if I'm interested in it and yeah, it, you have to take into account the time period when it was written mm. and it's, you know, you just have to know that going in. That's all. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think um, I, I agree with you guys. Um, werewolves to me, I like them better than vampires. I like the um, with the werewolf. I like sometimes when they portray the inner struggle of the guy trying to not change into the vampire, like Lawrence Talbot in the Universal films, for example. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Dracula, you know, I, f I actually I think it was you, Spence, that said we should do this because I hadn't even considered Dracula since we're doing vampires as a theme. And you're like, don't you want to wrap it up with the guy that started it all? And I was <laughs> like, oh, shit, you're right. So um, thank you for that, because I think, you know, whether you like the character or don't necessarily care for the character, you can't deny its influence on pop culture, on how vampires are portrayed in the 20th and now 21st century. Um, I mean, vampires have been around, like I said, at the beginning since for hundreds of years. I mean, going probably even further back than I don't know if any of you remember uh, or have read about Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood, which was um, it was a, a penny novel or penny dreadful. That's what they were called. Um, they were like horror stories written back in like the 1700s. And I think you bought them for a penny. And, and so it, it, there was one about this character, Varney the Vampire. Um, wow. So, yeah, I remember. Reading so there were vampires book. before Bram Stoker wrote, wrote his book. The, oh, yeah. there have been vampires in almost every culture, even like oh, shit. way out Chinese culture has yep. their own version of it. There's like Eastern European. Like we think of Eastern European as like Dracula, but they have the Strigoi, which if you want to know what the Strigoi are, go watch the show The Strain. Yeah. very good vampire Strain? show yeah. yeah it's a it's a, a guillermo del toro uh run show and it's much different than what you're usually expecting from vampires but it is one of the legends of like you know bloodsuckers that die in the sun right and um yeah because it's been so many in fact one of the films we covered uh 
on this was a Chinese film called Mr. Vampire. And it was the, the whole Chinese myth of vampires is far different than the Western European. Oh, version. wow. Mm. Huh. Um, they, okay. I'm not going to get into it right now. If you want to go listen to the Mr. Vampire episode, folks. But we're yeah. going to wrap things up here. Uh, I want to thank you guys, Michael and Spency, for joining us. And uh, Happy to be here. Awesome. We'll have you, obviously, again on the show. And I just want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on this little journey on our yearly thing. I'm thinking next year, werewolves. It's kind of a no-brainer. Dude, <laughs> we, we are there. Zombies. Yeah, we did zombies last year. Did we do one? Oh, the year before we did um, uh, the, what are widely regarded as the all-time scariest movies. Then we did zombies last year. We did vampires this year. So next year, it's going to be werewolves. Um, nice. so again, thank you, the listener, for joining us on this special 13 days of Hallowtober event Ooh. in 2022. And have a great <laughs> Halloween, everyone. Okay. Bye. Happy Halloween. Bye, guys. Happy Halloween. Welcome to 13 Days of Hallowtober. <laughs> For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.